0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. In just a moment, we'll look at verse 37 to the end of the chapter. When Don and I first got married, somebody gave us a charcoal grill. It was not a big green egg. It was a little square green charcoal grill, all right? And they also gave us some little charcoal briquettes. And if you don't know what those are, they're little things that you light and uh, I think it was Kingsford, is that right? In the white, red and white and blue bag, all right. And so what you have to do, you can get this little, uh, it looks like a hollowed out coffee can or a, a little chimney thing. And you can put all the coals down in that or you can just kind of pile it up. We just piled it up in the middle of the little green, <coughs> not egg, but uh, the little green charcoal grill. And then we would, uh, you know, I'm a Baptist, so I believe in a lot of liquid, all right? So we would get the charcoal light or the, uh, what do you call it? The lighter fluid. fluid. Thank you very much. This is my third time to preach this sermon. I need a little help. All right. So we would get the lighter fluid and you know, I, I don't do anything halfway, man. If I'm going to put it on there, I mean, I, I used half a can of that lighter fluid on there. And then I would stand way back. I learned to stand way back because one time I didn't stay way back and I got some of my eyebrows burned off. So I, I, I stand back and I got a whole book of matches. All right, does anybody remember what a match is? They were the things before this little long thing that you, you pull out now that's got the little fire thing at the end of it. Anyway, matches and I'd light the whole match book, the whole book, and then I'd throw it at that thing. <laughs> Whoosh! How many of you know what I'm talking about? Can I get a witness out there? Anybody ever started a charcoal fire? Yeah, man. You felt like, I mean, when that thing went up, it was just like, yes. You're kind of like Tom Hanks on that island. I've created fire, you know. And you look at that and all of a sudden it's just burning, burning, burning. Then you see the red glow of the coals and they're all together and they're hot. But inevitably, one or two of the little briquettes rolled away by itself and it got cold and it stayed hard. You said, brother Steve, would you please start preaching? Oh, I did. I've already started. Do you know why some of you don't feel the warmth of God in your hearts? It's because you have pulled away from Christian fellowship. You've pulled away from the other colds, if you will, you don't get around Christians much anymore. You might come to church once in a while and sing a few songs if there's nothing good on television or if you don't want to go to the lake or if you don't want to do something else. Now for many of you, fellowship is a priority. And one of the things that you're finding out is you need to be around other Christians. You need to stay close so you stay hot for God. I don't want to be lukewarm. You know what? If you get lukewarm, God will spit you out of his mouth. I want to stay hot for God, don't you? I've been walking for the Lord for well over, well, about 45 years, and I want to stay hot for God. There have been times in my life where I've kind of cooled off, and man, that's no fun. I want to stay hot for the Lord Jesus, and one of the ways to do it is to stay in the Word and stay in prayer. I've already talked about that. That's great. But now I want to talk to you about this way. Okay, I've already talked about this way. I want to talk about this way now. With people, you've got to be around other Christians if you're going to stay hot for God. If the coals of your life start getting cold, look at fellowship. Have you got anybody in your life that can ask you, that loves you too much to leave you alone? Have you got anybody in your life who can ask you some hard questions? I do. I do. I've got people that ask me questions like this. And they love the Lord and they love me. And I ask them the same questions. How's your Bible reading? How's your prayer? How's your marriage? How's your thought life? How are you in your eating habits? How are you with your weight. You say, you've got people that ask you that? Yes. How are are you, how's your speech? Are you making sure that you're diligent to do what God wants? And then they will ask me, have you lied to me about anything? (laughs) Have you got anybody like that in your life? Because if you don't, that's real fellowship. It's not just sitting around and say, how'd you like that game the other night? It's not all that stuff. Nothing, nothing, it doesn't mean you have to be like that all the time. You can have some fun. I have a lot of fun in life, okay? But I wanna say this to you. I need other believers who are hot for Jesus. I need to be around them because that helps me stay hot for the Lord. I wanna talk to you about Christian fellowship today we all need it we're starting the year <clears throat> with a countercultural series we're starting the year using the words of Joshua who said in Joshua 24:15 to the people of God the people of Israel who had gone into the land of Canaan the promised land and they were getting kind of tired of living for God Joshua Just stood him up and said, okay, you tired of living for God? You think you want to go back? Listen to what he said. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, I love Joshua, don't you? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I can't help what America does. I'm gonna serve the Lord. I'm not gonna march in the streets. I'm not gonna form some militia. If I go to the streets, it's gonna be with Bibles and gospel tracts telling people that Jesus can save anybody, anywhere, anytime he pulled me out of the miry clay, he can pull you out of the miry clay. That's what I'm gonna give my allegiance to. That's what I'm gonna support. As for me and my house, we're going to read the Bible. As for me and my house, we're going to pray today. As for me and my house, we're going to fellowship with other Christians. Y'all are my family. I said, you guys are my family, whether you like it or not. You can't kick me out of the family because you didn't get me in the family. I'm going to be around other Christians. I got more in common with you than I do anybody in my family that doesn't know Jesus. You are my family. And then I am not only going to fellowship, next week we're going to talk about, I'm going to tell lost people about Jesus. I'm going to show you next week how to tell somebody about Jesus to share the gospel so that you can lead people to faith in Christ. And then the next week, I'm going to talk about, if you don't want to hear somebody talk about money, don't come two weeks from today. Because two weeks from today, I'm going to tell you what Jesus says about money. I'm going to talk to you about giving through your local, through, not to. You don't give to the church, no. You give to Jesus. You give through the church so that we can reach not only our neighbors around Memphis, but we can reach the whole world. This church gives more to missions than any church in the state of Tennessee. Tennessee. More, more money leaves this church than any church in the Southern Baptist Convention in Tennessee. So we're going to talk about it. Now, I've already gone eight minutes, but I haven't even started preaching yet, all right? That doesn't, none of that counts. Okay, here we go. Here's a sermon. Acts 2, 37. The significance of Christian fellowship. Now when they, verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Peter had been preaching the first gospel sermon. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off. As many as the Lord will call, our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, He solemnly testified. He kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received His word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, not by, but through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and the Lord, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. This is the first church, description of the church, the first church of all churches, and that is the church of Jerusalem. Some people say they only had 120 because that's how many there were on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came. That is not true. But we know that there were at least 500 Christians because The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, that when Jesus appeared to the believers after his resurrection, before his ascension, he appeared to at least over 500 at one time. So there were probably between 500 to 1,000 Christians when Jesus ascended back to heaven and when he sent his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And today we're going to talk about the significance of Christian fellowship in the book of Acts. I'm reading it right now. I'm almost through the book of Acts. I'm reading through the New Testament again. And as I I read it, I realize that the early Christians, it wasn't some, you know, just a little thing that they did. They they did not make excuses not to go to church. They made excuses so they could go to church. (laughs) They, they, They made church a priority. They made coming together with other Christians. They wanted to stay hot. They didn't want to get cold in their souls. So let's talk about why it is significant for us as Christians to fellowship with other people who love the Lord. Number one, got to talk about the doorway to Christian fellowship. How do you get in? Not through the doors out here. No, 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 no. But through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 37. Now, when they had heard this, heard what? The sermon that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. Go back and read it. It's an amazing sermon built on Scripture out of the Old Testament. They were pierced to the heart. That is, when Peter preached, he preached the gospel. He talked about Jesus dying on the cross. He talked about Jesus being raised from the dead. He talked about Jesus appearing after he rose from the dead. He talked about Jesus ascending back to heaven. He talked about Jesus sending the Holy Spirit. And he talked about the fact that Jesus, according to the Old Testament, is the Jewish Messiah and he is the only Savior. And they were pierced to the heart. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and each of you, verse 38, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You want to get saved? You got to repent. What is repent? Repent turn from sin and turn to God. Say that with me. Turn from sin and turn to God. That's repent. Have you ever done that? You ever done that? You can't get saved if you don't repent. Jesus said, if you don't repent, you'll perish. He said that twice in the Bible. If you don't repent, you perish. Now, look at this verse. It says that you repent and then you go public You get baptized. And notice the phrase here, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The Greek word for there is the little Greek word ice, epsilon, iota, sigma. It can mean for, but it can also mean, depending on the context, because of. It's the causal use of the Greek word, ice. And that's what you have here. Baptism didn't save anybody. You're saved by grace and you're saved by receiving the Word of God. We'll see that momentarily in a verse right below this. Look at me. H2O doesn't save you. Water doesn't save you. The act of baptism doesn't save you. And if you read ice as the causal use of ice, here's what you get each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus because of the forgiveness of sins. Because your sins have been forgiven, you get baptized. Now, listen to me what I'm about to say. I'm not mad at anybody, but I'm telling you the gospel truth. Literally, there was never any unbeliever baptized for salvation in the Bible. Every person in the book of Acts and in the whole New Testament that was baptized had already believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me tell you something else. This makes people sometimes get mad, but when they start studying the Bible, they know that it's true. Not only are unbelievers never baptized, but babies are never baptized, ever in the New Testament. That is nowhere in the Bible. That came along hundreds of years after Jesus Christ went back to heaven. So no, babies don't need to be baptized or sprinkled. That is not New Testament circumcision. That is not a commitment to the covenant. That is not, 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 that's wrong. (laughs) That's not right. It's not biblical. So each of you be baptized because of the forgiveness of sins. Verse 39, for the promise is for you, it's for all people and your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Listen to me, God is calling and those who respond will be saved. And then he says, you've got to repent. Look at verse 40. 40, And with many other words, he solemnly, testified, kept on exhorting, begging them, pleading with them. Sometimes you might wonder, why do I get so fired up? Do you think that's just some kind of little speech thing? Do you think that's little, some kind of little thing they taught us in school? If you get excited, they'll more people get, no, no, no. Let me tell you something, deep in my soul, I want to exhort you. I want to beg you. I want to plead with you. Get saved. <laughs> Give your heart to Jesus Christ. Man, listen, that's what life is about. It it doesn't matter if you don't write down the outline. It doesn't matter if you don't sing all the songs. Man, come to Jesus and get to know Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus Christ. I mean, fall in love with him. I mean, embrace him by grace through faith in him. I can't help but say that in a pleading way. And that's what Peter was saying. He was saying verse 40, be saved from this perverse generation. I got news for you. From every time you say this world has always been perverse, God created in Genesis one and two is not perverse, but in Genesis three, when she took that fruit and ate, and she disobeyed God, the world became perverse, perverted. That's where sin came in, and it's passed on to every generation. So yes, this world is perverse. It is not what a wonderful world. No, 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 no. It is a perverse world that Jesus is coming back to rectify one of these days. He's already given us the way to salvation, but he's going to come back and reign on this earth for a thousand years and then burn it up and give us a new heaven and a new earth and a new kingdom forever. Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who received his word, now look, who received His word and were baptized? Do you see, They got saved by receiving the word, and then they got baptized. That verifies what I was saying a while ago. And that day they were added about 3,000 souls. We just saw one person get baptized. We saw another person get baptized in their other service. We saw another person get baptized last night. That's great. Three people got baptized. How, how many of you would like to see 2997 more get baptized? Amen? In one day, in one day, they must have had about 50 baptizers going on. Amen. The doorway to Christian fellowship. Now, when did Paul get saved? Oh, on the road to Damascus. He did not. I like that. I I really like that. I've really enjoyed doing that this weekend. I don't know why. Why? But he didn't get saved on the road. And the Bible never says he got saved on the road to Damascus. It said he met the Lord in the sense of the Lord confronted him, and the Lord blinded him for three days. And then the Lord sent a soul winner to his house where he was staying in Damascus. And he'd been blind for three days physically, which was indicative, I believe, of his spiritual blindness still. But when Ananias came to witness to Paul, that's when he got saved. And Paul says so, quoting Ananias. Listen to this. This is Paul quoting Ananias and he tells you exactly when he got saved. Look at me. There's an exact time when you got saved. God doesn't just zap some unbeliever who doesn't even know how to repent, doesn't even know the gospel. That's what was Paul. He didn't zap him on the road to Damascus with a bolt of salvation. No, I heard a preacher say that one time. That's wrong. I won't do the little int, but it's wrong. He got saved when Ananias came. Now, now, here's Paul quoting what Ananias said, and there's a point for all this. Acts 22, verse 16. Paul says, here's what Ananias said to me. Paul, now why do you delay? See, there was something he needed to do. Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, call on his name. Now let's read it backwards. How do you get saved? You call on the name of the Lord. What happens when you call on the name of the Lord? Your sins are washed away. What happens when you call on the name of the Lord and your sins are washed away? You're saved. After you're saved, what do you do? You get baptized to show that you are saved. You don't get baptized to get saved. You don't get baptized to wash away your sins. You get baptized showing that you've already called on the name of the Lord. Paul had not called on the name of the Lord until Ananias showed up. Paul had not had his sins washed away until Ananias showed up. And so he does that and he gets baptized to show that he's saved. And the the moment he got saved, The moment he gave his heart to Christ, he entered the doorway to Christian fellowship. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever really felt the Holy Spirit upon you, convicting you of sin and righteousness and judgment, have you ever turned from your sins? Have you ever turned toward the Lord? Have you ever believed savingly that Jesus died for your sins, that he rose from the grave to give you eternal life? Have you ever then called upon the name of the Lord and have your sins washed away? And then have you been baptized not to be saved, but to show that you're already saved? Like putting on a wedding ring. You're already married when you put on a wedding ring. You've already said your vows. And this is just to show that you are married. It doesn't make you married. It shows that you are. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been married to Jesus? Have you ever been united with Jesus and then put on his wedding ring baptism to show that you're a Christian? Have you ever gone through the doorway of fellowship? You said, brother Steve, we've got six more points to go. Here we go. All right, here we go. That's the doorway to Christian fellowship. Now, notice the priorities of Christian fellowship. What did they do when they got together? Look at verse 42. They didn't talk about football. They didn't talk about the stock market. They talked about the Lord. Look at this. They were continually devoting themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and of prayer. What is the apostles' teaching? The preaching, the teaching of the word. They were constantly teaching the Word of God. What is fellowship? It's spending time with other Christians. And you're having this take and give where you're talking with each other about your walk with the Lord. And then the breaking of bread, what is that? It's the Lord's Supper. They would have the Lord's Supper and remember the Lord's Supper. And they would know that God was in their midst. And then prayer, they would corporately pray. Their church had... The Church at Jerusalem, the early church was birthed in the 10-day prayer meeting, and when God, later on, in Acts 13, started sending out missionaries, he birthed that in a prayer meeting. I'm telling you, God uses prayer in the local church. When I got saved, somebody, somehow, I got hold of a topical memory system. My buddy and I were out witnessing and we went to a little Bible. Bookstore downtown Jackson Tennessee, and we came across the Navigators Topical Memory System. The Navigators are out of Colorado Springs. They're one of the greatest discipleship groups ever. If you don't have the Topical Memory System, I don't work for these people, but I'm telling you, I got that 45 years ago and started memorizing Scripture. It's the best Scripture memory plan there is, and in the, it started off with this wheel. Look at this wheel. It shows you basically what we're talking about. These whole Parts of uh, how to grow in grace. Look at the spokes. First of all, look at the, the, the middle part there, the hub. Christ, the, the center of your life. We memorize Galatians. Two twenty i 'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and also second corinthians five seventeen if anyone is in christ he 's a new creation, old things are passed away, new things are come that 's the middle that 's where you verse and then we would memorize two verses for every spoke i won 't give you all the verses, but I want you to see first of all how you 're connected with the lord you 've got to have these disciplines if you 're going to grow and mature and be more christ like first of all you 've got to be in the Word notice God focuses not horizontally first, but vertically. You've got to be in the word. God's got to talk with you. Every day you need to read the word and read it like it's a love letter from God to you. Read it like God's talking to you because he is and then you respond in prayer. That's the other spoke. And then after you've been vertical with God, then it's okay to go out and be horizontal with people. We're going to fellowship with other Christians, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and encourage one another. And then we're going to witness to other people. We're going to follow the Lord and be fishers of men. So those are the spokes. And then all of that leads to obedience in Christ and in godly actions. These are the priorities of the Christian life. I want to ask you Are you engaged in that kind of stuff? Do you do what, are you committed to teaching the teaching of the word of God? Are you committed to fellowship? Are you committed to the Lord's supper? Are you committed to prayer? These are priorities. These are the fundamentals. They're like blocking and tackling in football. They're like layups and free throws in basketball. You got to, they're like dribbling. You got to know how to do these things. If you're going to walk with God, you've got to priorities of Christian fellowship. Now, Third, and this to me may be the most important thing I talk to you about today. The atmosphere of Christian fellowship. Look at verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Everybody turn your eyes up here just for a second. When they went to church, they felt something. They felt something. They felt the presence of God. Do you ever feel anything like that when you come to church? If not, shame on us. Shame on us. Notice this feeling was universal. Everyone kept feeling it. Notice it was perpetual. Everyone kept feeling it. It was was every time they'd come together, they felt the Lord. And it was powerful. They kept feeling the sense of awe. It was rooted in signs and wonders taking place in their midst. I want to ask you, when you come to Bellevue, do you expect to feel the presence of God? Do you expect God to do things that when you're leaving, you say, only God could have said that? Only God could have told Brother Steve or whoever's preaching only God could have laid that on his heart because I needed that. Only God could have laid that song on the music guy's heart to give because I needed that lyric in that song. I needed that word today. That was a word from God to me. Only God could have spoken that word. Does that ever happen to you? Now, the greatest miracle of all, I think, is when somebody who is a lost sinner repents of their sin and they get saved. Amen? Amen. God changes them. I have seen God change all kinds of people. We had a witch that got saved in Garden. I'm talking about a Wiccan. And she got in the orchestra and played the tambourine. I got news for you. Saved witches can really play the tambourine. I've seen every kind of person saved you can think about. I'm going to tell you something. I don't care what you've done. You haven't gone too far for Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. You have not gone too far. You have not gone too far. God loves you, died for you, and Jesus Christ can still do signs and wonders. He can still do miraculous things. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm just telling you something. If you leave here today and you don't feel anything, Shame on us. There needs to be the presence of God in this church. I want to say this to you with all due respect. I don't want to have a church that tries to draw people. I want to have a church that draws the presence of God. And I believe the presence of God is what people are hungry for. And that's what draws the people. That's what draws the people, not the preacher, The preacher can come and go, but as long as God's here, we come to church because we want to feel his presence and because we want God to move in our lives. We want to hear a word from God. Amen. Number four, the generosity of Christian fellowship. Look at verses 44 and 45. All those who had believed were together. They were unified. They had all things in common They were beginning to sell their property, their possessions, sharing them with all as anyone might have need. When God touched their hearts, he touched their finances. When God changed their selfish hearts, he changed them into generous hearts. By the way, this is not first century communism or socialism. I'm hearing more and more that our students are being taught that the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles taught and support socialism and communism. I'll say this to you. I'm not saying capitalism is the only way or anything. I can tell you this, socialism and communism is not what this is. I'll tell you why. In socialism and communism, the governmental leaders force you to give a good chunk of what you have worked for and spread it out for everybody. They forced you to do it. That is not this. Nobody was forcing anybody. Jesus had changed their hearts. And because their hearts were changed, when they saw somebody that had a need because they loved Jesus, not because somebody was forcing them to do it, because they loved Jesus out of generosity, they helped them. They would sell their property and give it to somebody in need, not because they were mandated to do it, but because God laid it on their hearts. Look at me. We don't need some government telling us to be generous. We need the Holy Ghost telling us to be generous. Amen? Anytime, anytime you, look at me, anytime you feel the urge or the desire to give something to somebody, that I believe is the Holy Spirit prompting you to do that. Go ahead and do it before you talk yourself out of it and you'll get the blessing. You'll never regret what you give to other people in need. And then watch how miraculously God will supply your needs when you start taking care of other people, when you start ministering to other people out of the abundance of what God has given you. And If you don't look, God doesn't expect you to give what you don't have, all right? I'm not just talking about giving the church. I'm talking about you ought to give to other people God, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes God will just prompt you to want to give to somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sure you do, you know what I'm talking about. Go on and do it, go on and do it. I mean, everything you've got, you don't own it anyway, it's all God's, it's just stuff that he's loaned to you. So go on and do it, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Be generous. One of my ministerial heroes is C.H. Spurgeon. He, raised, he, he had the, the largest church in England Metropolitan Tabernacle. 6,000 people came every week before anybody knew what a mega church was. This is back in the 1800s. But interestingly, he had some chickens that he had. He lived in London, and he raised chickens, and he sold the eggs. And so somebody starts asking him, what do you do with all that money that you make on selling eggs? I don't know how much he made. And he wouldn't tell them. For 30 or 40 years, he raised chickens. He preached. He wasn't a chicken. (laughs) Go read his sermons. But he would preach, but he sold chicken eggs. And they said, well, what's that preacher doing with all that money? Selling chicken eggs. And he died. And he never told anybody what he did with the money. But finally, his children told him. You know what he did with the money? For 30 or 40 years, he gave all that money. He paid the rent. Of several little widows that wouldn't have had a home if Charles Spurgeon hadn't done it. You say, well, why didn't he just tell somebody? Because Jesus said, when you do something good for somebody else, don't brag about it. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Just do it unto the Lord. Just do it unto the Lord so that God one day will get all the glory. And you know what? Spurgeon's been dead for over a hundred years and I'm still preaching about it. Amen. God's still getting the glory out of what he did. You need to be generous. You need to be generous. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, given it will be given to you, good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over by your standard of measure. It will be measured to you in return. If you give a little, you'll receive a little. If you give a lot to other people, minister to them, God will bless you. It won't all be financial, but it will be a blessing. I'm not saying God will make you rich. I'm not into that. I'm not into naming and claiming it, grabbing it and blabbing it, and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm not into all that. I'm not into that. But I will tell you this: God wants you to be a giver. Quit thinking so much about how much you can get, and start thinking about what you can give. God will bless you. All right. Number five: the unity of Christian fellowship. Very quickly, look at verse 46. Day by day, they were continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They loved each other and they liked each other and they spent time with each other and they were unified. Gladness, sincerity of heart. They ate together and they were of one mind. They needed each other. They knew it. It wouldn't be long before the Jews would kick them out of the synagogues and out of the temple. It wouldn't be long before the Romans would arrest them for being Christians. Oh, they needed each other. They needed to love each other. They were like an athletic team. They wanted to play together. They were like a military unit. They wanted to go into battle, spiritual battle together. They wanted to be like a married couple connected together and become one. They wanted to bond together. The psalmist said in Psalm 133, Behold how good and how pleasant it is just read that one verse for brothers to live together in unity Paul said in Ephesians 4 3 be diligent to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace Jesus said blessed are the peacemakers let's say that together blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called sons of God I want to say this to you I'm not mad But I've been doing this a long time. I've been preaching for over 40 years. i got news for you. There's two kinds of church members, peacemakers and troublemakers. Don't be the latter. Don't constantly critique everybody. If you want to critique somebody, go look in the mirror. But don't be critiquing everybody else. Love other people. Even the ones that do you wrong. Love them and give them to God and participate in the unity of Christian fellowship. Number six, the worship of Christian fellowship. Look at verse 47. Praising God, say that with me, praising God. Now what is worship? What is it? How do you praise? What do you do? Don't overcomplicate this. It's simply two things. Write it down. Write this down. First of all, it's praising God for who He is. Say that with me. Praising God for who He is. That's the first part of it. That's what worship is. That's what praising is. Praising God for who He is. I'll explain it momentarily. And then thanking God for what He's done. Say that with me. Thanking God for what He's done. So, what is worship? What is praise? It's praising God for who He is, thanking God for what He's done. Okay, who is He, preacher? Glad you asked. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He is good. How many of you know that God is good? Amen? He is holy. He is righteous. He is merciful. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He is omnipotent. He is all powerful. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Can't you praise God for those things? Can't you say, God, I praise you? You're my creator. God, you're my redeemer. God, you're good. God, you're holy. Praise you. Praise you for who you are. And then God, thank you for what you've done for me. How many of you God has been good to you? Anybody out there? Can you thank him a little bit? I want to say this to you. Four or five times a day. You say, I I can't do this. Yes, you can. Four or five times a day for about a minute. Just start thanking God for what he's done for you. Thank you, God, that you pulled me out of my clay. Thank you, God, that you saved my soul. Thank you, God, that you gave me a Bible to read. Thank you, God, that you put the Holy Spirit in me. Thank you, God, that I'm part of a church. Thank you, God, that you have provided my needs. Thank you, God, that I've got food to eat, clothes to wear, a roof over my head, and right now I think I'm in my right mind. Thank you, God, that I have health. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank you, God, for this nation. Thank you, God, that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. Now, I want to say this to you. If you do that four or five times a day, you better go get by yourself. I don't look, I'm not up here acting. Do you think that's just a little act over here? I'll tell you something. Everything I just said to you, I'm thankful for that. I am thankful to my God. I don't even want to think about where I'd be if it wasn't for Jesus. I don't want back in that miry clay. Turn my back on that, don't want that. I want him. And I'm going to thank him for what he did for me. Amen. Psalm 92 verse 1 says, it's good. Everybody say, it's good. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name. <laughs> well, I got more to say about that, but I won't. On my 20th anniversary, I want y'all to let me preach as long as I want to. <laughs> if I get that far. Number seven, the witness of Christian fellowship. And we're about to leave, so everybody stand up after you write that word down, witness. Read this text with me, the last part of verse 47. Read it with me. And having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Keep that text on the screen. They had favor with all the people. One of the greatest blessings is the favor of God. When God puts an anointing on somebody and the presence of God is drawn to that person and God uses his presence to draw other people to himself through that person, that's the favor of God. You need to pray that God will put his favor on you. It's a beautiful study in the Bible, one of the best you can have. And they had favor with all the people. Even the lost people liked them. I want to ask you, do lost people like Christians nowadays? You know, the way some Christians talk on social media, I got news for you. That's not a platform to berate people. You want to be different on social media? Be an encourager. Be an encourager. Amen. And look at the outcome, and the Lord was at him to their number, Sunday by Sunday, is that what it says? No, day by day, those who were being, out loud, saved. Wouldn't it be something? If people in Memphis were getting saved every day? Wouldn't it be something? I can't wait to Sunday. I gotta get saved now, day by day, day by day. Don't tell me it can't happen. It's happened. And it's when we get together in fellowship, that's the kind of thing that takes place. If we would get right with our God, have good fellowship with him, with the word and with prayer. And then if we get right with our fellow Christian and we wouldn't have anything between us. And you know what? If you see things a little bit differently than I do politically, that's all right. God's not you know, we're we're not going to go there. We're not going to bring politics and all that. The bottom line is I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to love you. And you're going to be my brother and sister. You are my family. You are my kinfolk, if you will. And and I'm just going to love you. And I want you to love me. We've all got warts. We've all got blind spots. We've all got stuff. All right. We've all got things that, bother other people. But the bottom line is I'm going to cut you some slack because I want some slack. That's called being merciful. And I'm just going to walk in the presence of God with my family until we get to go to heaven. And guess what? We're not going anywhere. We're going to spend eternity with each other. We might as well like each other down here. All right. So let's get over all of our differences. Let's quit magnifying our differences and start magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's come together and love each other. Amen.